Welcome to the Danger Room, a place to prepare for the opponents you are yet to face. We discuss strategy and how to level up your game in Marvel Crisis Protocol. We will have our Xavier Protocol segment, some hot takes discussing something new and shiny, and our main topic of the week. We would like to begin by thanking you, the listener, for giving us your time to listen to our opinions of the game. On the podcast, we have Jacob, Sploosh, and myself, Dizzard. All right, so we're going to begin today with talking about a uh, thing that we started to do, and we actually started opening up a Patreon. Um, if you guys would like to support that way, we will have the link in the show notes, and we're just going to leave it at that, and we'll begin the show with Xavier Protocols. So I wanted to talk about something that I haven't really heard people talking about or seen people talking about that much, and that is in the upcoming uh, spoiled cards we've seen, particularly from the Magneto box, uh, I've noticed that there is a new set symbol. The set symbol is the little icon at the bottom right-hand corner of the Team Tactics cards. And uh, up until now, it's been a little Spider-Man face. And starting with these cards, it's a little uh, X-Men X symbol. Uh, now, we knew this was happening. It's in the core rules. It's called the set symbol. Um, and, but this is the first time we've seen a new one. So I think we've kind of conceived that we've got our first set is up until probably up until like the defenders are completed so i'm imagining she hulk is still part of the spider-man set and then when they come out luke cage and iron fist will be part of the spider-man set and then from the x-men onwards we've got the x-men set and potentially within humans it looks like are going to be in that set too so i just wanted to take a little bit of time and uh, have some ideas of why how we could use this why have they introduced this mechanic uh into the game and I think this ties in with the fact we're starting to see reprints. You know, we've seen um, Heath Home, we're seeing Advanced R&D. There's a number of cards that are seeing reprinted from the core set and from particular expansions that they want to be, I think, almost like evergreen Team Tactics cards so that they can in the future have a limited format where they say, OK, in this tournament or in this season or in this in this particular event that we're having, you can only use things from within this limited uh, selection. That's something that you see a lot with things like Magic the Gathering is a great example of this, where when their collection of different cards, or in, in this case characters, gets too big, what they've done is they've said, well, rather than trying to balance this in the light of everything, we balance it in terms of this set. And so we can say, if there's problematic things with cross between sets, then we can have a limited format where we say, no, we're just playing this set, or we're just playing this set. There's nothing stopping you at home playing any of these things together, but in particular organized play events, then they'll be saying, okay, well, these are the sets which are legal for this event. And then you get different formats, which are sort of narrower, so they're just the recent stuff. And then you get longer formats, which have more legacy stuff uh, put into it. So my question with that, though, is because they've explicitly said that they want to have a casual focus um do you really think they would limit sets that way for op events yeah well i mean they've they've already got an organized play thing you know the, the mm -hmm. crisis event has a document and that's been up there since you know really early so it's not that they're not doing anything for the competitive i mean they're, they're clearly casual focused they're not yeah. pushing the competitive scene but i think Knowing the backgrounds of the people who've designed it, they've come from uh, the, some of them. Yeah. Will Pagani was a serious competitive player. He likes to see competitive play, I think. Uh, and so I can see that they ha had half a mind thinking, okay, well, 
how can we make it so that our game can be played competitively and what do we want to bake into the game that's maybe going to support that in the future maybe we're not going to make a big deal about it initially but it's something which you know we've we've put this in there and maybe uh, it's going to be down to the community to say okay it's this set and it gives the community a, a demarcated thing I think it's also like when they did their playtesting, when they did their initial design, they they talked about designing about 50 characters, and that feels mm. about right for what's got the Spider-Man face symbol on them. Yeah. And so now we're into sort of set two, which is going to have been designed together, and we might see some recurring themes and some, some similar design, or some new design concepts, which come up a few times in that while they explore them. A bit like how in Magic you get like a mechanic that turns up in a set and is, is used a bit frequently in a set. Uh, and maybe we'll look back and go, oh my god, that Spider-Man stuff, That was there were so many throws in that. It was just throwing all over the place, and throws were everywhere. And they really, maybe they toned down the amount of throws in the game. I don't think that's particularly likely, but just as an example. Well, I think I think it's a good point that you're making. Like, and it's it's something that could be looked at. To what they're doing is, like you said, having the sets. Like maybe later on, like where we have maybe three sets, and you got fifty characters per set. That's a huge pool to pull from. Um, and then balancing, like you said, could be a very big issue. And having to only balance more strictly to your set might actually be a thing to where they could. It gives them more. I'm trying to get the word for it. Um design space something along those lines um pretty much just mirroring what you're saying is what i'm thinking now and i it's kind of a neat idea and it almost also kind of is an active duty roster in a way if you look at it that way if you're looking at like a comparable like war machine term um explain for some of our listeners who don't yeah, know war machine, so what the roster was yeah, so Active Duty was like, hey, during this, it was what, almost a year's worth for the act, or no, it was once a quarter. Once I can't even remember now, it's been so long. Um, but essentially for a set time period, these were for your tournaments, these were your uh, war cast or leaders that you could play with. Um, and that could be kind of an interesting thing, like, hey, quarters one through two of the year 2021, uh, OP events, you're only allowed to play uh spider-man or like uh, the spider-man symbol and the x-men symbol and let's say four to one and two of 2022 it's something like hey you can only play x-men and whatever the next set is um and it kind of puts the spider-man symbol at a break it kind of just creates a like kind of what we're talking about is like we don't really know what it could be but it's kind of fun to speculate I think we're going to see more reprints is the other thing yeah. um, because of this format. So we're going to see some of those core set cards getting reprinted, which is also nice if there was like a box set that you didn't pick up because you didn't like the characters, but they had a really good tactics card in. So that's getting reprinted somewhere else. And you know, I can see that being a, a nice thing for uh, players who don't, who aren't completionists. So something I want to hit on with that reprint, because I have seen it actually brought up before, is just because it's a reprint doesn't change the name of the card and does not mean that you can bring two of them in your roster. Uh, so you can't bring two advanced R&Ds just because the art is different. Um, what about if I cross out sibling rivalry and replace it with get help? Can I bring two then? <laughs> I, I don't nice. believe so. <laughs> uh, but I'm pretty sure I saw, uh, I think it was Pagani actually answered that one, I think on their new forum site. I saw that. I was reading that earlier today. I can give you guys an example that they might do. Um, X-Men is called Uncanny X-Men, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so they could, let's say, maybe a year and a half, two years from now, 
uh, have like a new X-Men, maybe because they are in the movies or whatever, and they call it whatever X-Men. And then for their event, they would say, you know, only bring the, you know, the new X-Men to this tournament. Not You can't bring your uncanny X-Men. I mean, that's kind know? of what the... If you remember that the comics did that too, you had the uncanny X-Men comics and then you had the new X-Men comics and then, yeah, they kind of followed that line too. Yeah. And they'll hide behind like, oh, don't worry. It's just for this event. It's not like we're banning, you know, oh, uncanny X-Men. Okay. But, but it will be, I, I think cause you know, you're a game developer, you don't want to like make anyone not want to play your game. Right. And I think yeah. overly banning or like sort of indirectly banning like a whole year worth of minis probably isn't the best way to keep some customers right some people are going to get mad um but it also is a way to maybe get some people who are a little frustrated uh back into their game like let's just say hypothetically there's the some people that are upset about modok's existence and then this new event you know is like you know only these x-men and like blah 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 blah, blah and and then modok isn't invited to the party right so that might bring some people back they'll be buying new product like, the, don't get me wrong, it's a game and we're just having fun playing a game, but it's also a business and they have to find a way to make us happy and also to keep us moving, right? So, you know, hopefully we're both happy at the end of the day. I know I would love it. I would welcome it. I just would be a little nervous that, you know, I own, I don't know, like something like 40 characters and I'd hate the idea of not being able to use them after a certain point in time. Well, the interesting thing is I'm not sure the characters do have a set symbol on them. They, I just checked. They do not. I was just thinking the same thing. So yeah. I'm not sure that it's the characters so much as the cards. Uh, I mean, it could be, you know, Storm, you know, Queen of Wakanda versus like, you know, the baby Storm we got now versus like, you know, whatever other Storm they want to make or the 8 trillion Iron Mans they could make, right? So... But then that's, that's kind of wrapped in with the... Um... The, the the alias name the under the main name um, right alter ego you, yeah like like x-men is a perfect example though you know you have your new x-men versus your uncanny x-men and different affiliations and so you're not it's a very indirect way of blocking a character because maybe the version of storm you have isn't a member of that so, team you know so I, I i see what you're saying but like like kind of wrapping this around again um, you only see these symbols on the tactics cards and the crisis cards. So maybe that's where you see the restrictions, not within the characters, but what crisis you're allowed to play and bring your rosters. Oh man, I would love to have some crisis rotations. I think that is more likely than a character rotation. I think it's, it's going to become unmanageable as well and inaccessible for new players. And that's part of the reason that they, they do this mm -hmm. in Magic is they have a format which is designed for new. If you're just getting into the game, you don't have to worry about the game's, you know, 15 year history or whatever it's been of um, printing cards and having to go and find obscure things which you can only get from secondhand sellers. Uh, instead, you can come in and there's fresh and there's now and you're buying stuff that's relevant and you're playing against other people who've got that same relevant stuff and you're learning a small subset of the whole game. So I, I think, again, it's good future proofing and good uh, good signs that they've got plans for this game going on yep. for a long time. But I mean, that's like, OK, let's just talk about that future proofing thing just really quick. I'm trying to wrap this up, but it's um, you look at. AMG as a whole, and from their first original core rulebook, 
they've been future-proofing a bunch of things um, or just even spoiling a bunch of things. Like how much foreshadowing was in like little different paragraphs that they had in the rule book that we had no idea what really meant until like now. Uh, like if you look at the affiliations a little bit in there, like I think AMG does a really good job of doing stuff like that. They've been in the business for a while, so it's like they, they should, not AMG itself, but the people part that are part of AMG have been making games for a long time. Yeah, just having like Incinerate on day one as mm -hmm. something, and you're like, well, who uses that? I mean, I don't even remember. Was Green Goblin the first person to incinerate someone? Yeah. yeah. Think about how, well, I, get, I don't know. Green Goblin was supposed to come out earlier, I think, than he actually did. But still, that was a long wait <laughs> just to know what Incinerate does or, or yeah. see someone use it. And see it at the end play. Yeah. But... But moving on, uh, so we're going to be doing our hot takes with Mystique and a few of the tactics cards that were spoiled through the um, transmissions that Atomic does. So we'll be talking about what that says. We don't have the actual card yet for the exact wording, but we're going to put our interpretation of it from what the transmission panel to play said. Uh, so, Jacob, would you like to start talking about Mystique? Okay. First thing I want to hit on is we've got, this is the third character now who's got a four dice range three attack where you get to make two attacks. And again, uh, I'll mention it. We talked about it when we talked about um, some of the other characters. When we talked about uh, Punisher. But that's really good. When you look at the maths of it, it, it looks kind of like a six dice attack. Now, she's going to, and she's going to guaranteed gain two power off it as long as she doesn't daze someone on the first attack, in which case, Oh no, I dazed someone. So it's all upside. So we've now got three characters who have got this amazing sort of three cost, but six dice attack for free at range well, three. It's it's really good. I got to point something out on there, though, is did you notice that you have to have a hit to get rapid fire? Uh, do you know what? You're right. Uh, I think that's an improvement, frankly. Yep. Um, that's definite improvement. Uh, I think the the automatic second shot was just a bit too good for a three threat. So yeah, thank you. No, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, I I didn't notice it either until I was testing her out, and uh, the person I was playing was testing her out as well. And he's like, "Oh, you need a hit to get the rapid fire." And I was like, "Oh, you do." And uh, it granted, you're more than likely gonna get a hit. Um, I don't know the percentage. I'm sure you can do that real quick. <laughs> um, what a four die four die attack needing a hit symbol. One fourth chance each die. Yeah. So yeah, but it's make it a little bit, a little bit harder. Give me, give me thirty seconds, and I'll get back to you. So we'll let Jacob do that real quick. But yeah, I agree. I think adding the hit to the rapid fire is a much needed thing. Um, and I kind of wish Black Widow and Punisher had that on theirs as well. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Punisher, I don't know how like. Punisher kind of lives and dies by that rapid fire, um, and I guess Widow too. It's tricky. I it get the thing is I think uh, on its face value it's not that insane. I think it's when you add Doom Prophecy yeah. and, and uh, all you've got that it gets it starts to get kind of stupid. But it also enables her to be able to do other things. Like you do one pistol shot, and you get the rapid fire on. Let's just say. At the start of your turn, that's you're at three power now. Now you can blow up a building for your second action and do two damage to a group of people. So it enables her to do the other things that she wants to do. Yeah, assuming the person's next to you, she doesn't yeah. charge or anything like that. She actually, 
I, when I look at her, my instant reaction is, oh, Taskmaster 2.0. Right? Oh, see, I think, I think of Mystique as you take Punisher, you take Widow 2, and you smash them together. Yeah, Punisher That's... and Widow 2 and, the, and her. Yeah, sure, but I'm, I'm saying more like if you're playing Brotherhood. Oh, yeah. Um, I, my big debate has been, do I play like Taskmaster or Mystique? I, I feel like I lean a little bit towards Mystique only because she's got the, like the sort of synergies with, um, her expert sabotage mm -hmm. or, or she, um, it can be a leader, which, you know, obviously if you're a leader, that makes you irreplaceable. Um, so I, I I feel like if I'm playing Brotherhood, I she gets the nod for sure over Taskmaster, and then it gets into a deeper debate of like, well, do you bring her and Taskmaster? <laughs> you know, and and then it get that gets a little crazy too. Yeah, um, it really does. Um, but I I think she's a neat character. I think her leadership is really cool. Um, so my my initial thoughts of her, um, I think that she is a character that has a medium floor and an extremely high ceiling. I think at like a high level of play, I think she can be really, really good. Um, I think that it just takes someone to unlock her. Yeah, right now, because there's not a lot of other choice, I feel like she's just gonna always see play if you're playing Brotherhood as mm -hmm. like your primary affiliation. And then maybe later on she might go away. It depends a lot. I, I think, how much her she is a leader is going to be relevant for her. If she proves herself to just be a really good leader, then, I mean, she's going to be around for a long time, right? But if people aren't actually very happy with the leadership after maybe months of actually playing her, she may fall off for anything that comes in to replace her, which we already know there's going to be more Brotherhood coming. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. This is like... We know. Uh, it's 73% of the time she's going to get that extra attack. So it's yeah. pretty common. Wow. It's that high on four dice. Yeah. Wow. I've seen, well, that just makes me feel even worse that I kept missing my saber tooth hit wild because <laughs> I kept missing hits. That's twice that's in a row. I got the wild and no hit. And I just wanted to kill myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Okay. So I missed on even higher for seven dice. It's probably ridiculous. It's probably like 80 something percent. Yeah. Uh, so um, it's... Yeah, it's less because it's the odds of wild and then even less likely because you need to get the wild. No, no, no. I'm talking just the hit because I was getting oh, the wild. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah. I just couldn't believe I couldn't get the hit. Um, I guess it, it would be technically six dice if you really wanted to argue it because obviously one of the dice has to be a wild. So yeah. it would be six dice to get a hit versus four. But anyway, just a tangent, but dice just love to dice be dice mess me up sometimes <laughs> foreshadowing there yeah yeah maybe um, um so i got a question then for you what do you guys think of the tactics cards that come with her that we got off of the panel to play uh, i think they're both comparable with existing tactics cards clearly we've got one that's uh, a lot like recalibration matrix but it's only one-sided but it's cheaper but it's unique to mystique and we've got one that's a lot like face me but you have to be alone and it's unique to mystique as well um so i like both of them i think are potentially upgrades the cheapness of the recalibration matrix one and the lack of attack on the face me one 
I, yeah. I kind of think they might become auto includes. Like Black Order is cursed with having so many good tactics cards. So <laughs> I think I think Magneto's card is really good too. So you've got a strong argument for four insane tactics cards. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how you choose. Yeah, it's. I'll say like from me experimenting with them over the past week, uh, tactics cards is definitely the hardest point to build a roster with them. Um, like Asteroid <laughs> M is super good and. Uh, Wolverine and Sabretooth's exceptional healing is super good, and the throw is super good, and like so far, oh, yeah. like, like I think just yeah. all the tactics cards that we're getting between like this at the end of this next week, like it's it's gonna make you choices even harder. Um, <laughs> you just reminded me that um, you know Sabretooth's tactics cards are also insane. So I mean that brings you up to like six incredible tactics cards, and and. You haven't even considered the restricted list. Yeah. Um, I think the one that calls to me the most is Deception. I just love the fact that I can pay some power. We don't know how much yet, but pay some power and score a VP by just saying, you come off the come off that point, come off that secure. And then I've got someone there. They're going to score it where before it was being contested, or I'm denying you a VP. And uh, maybe I'm the beatdown character, and that's a really important thing for me to do is to slow your scoring. Yeah, if you did move, uh, use the card, then move to contest, that's a 2VP swing, where if you just use the card, it's a 1VP swing. So, pretty good. Yeah. All right, so a 1VP swing, if I can get a VP out of each of my cards, then I've got 5 VPs more than you. Yeah, yeah it's really strong. So let's go ahead and like get back to like talk about Mystique, um, as far as like what do you guys think you need to do to counter her? So we haven't even talked about her leadership yet. Uh, she's got this amazing power to refund interactions with Extract. Uh, worth pointing out, it is only Extract. So there's a lot of text on that card and it's easy to miss. You don't get a refund for interacting with Secures. Having said that, uh, I still think it puts her up there with Asgard in terms of uh, dealing with things like deadly meteors and spider portals because it enables you to interact with an extract and a secure. It's going to cost all your power, just like it would for Asgard, but it enables you to get big advantage round one, which you can then leverage potentially into the rest of the game. So I think uh, in as much as we think Asgard are really good on those scenarios, I think Mystique-led Brotherhood are going to be good on those too. I think, though, you'd rather take uh magneto they're, they're two leaders it's not like really a cost to have both in your your 10 and magneto can extremely reliably get uh eight power for his team <laughs> on turn one so he's sort of um already doing the battery thing that you're referencing and also keep in mind in your example with asgard that's only on turn one the asgardians maintain their plus two power every turn so they could murder plus you know interact every turn which is why they're so strong on meteors. Now, we're... Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, but there's, I, I've got thoughts about comparing Mystique and Magneto, because they're, they're clearly very comparable, because they're both um, Brotherhood leaders. Uh, my, where I come down on that is the, the biggest difference between them is their threats. Mystique is only three threat, whereas Magneto is six. And I kind of feel that Magneto is going to be the leader you go to for the higher threat totals, and Mystique is the leader you're going to be going to for the lower threat totals, simply because of um, not wanting to get out activated and just spreading round points, just in pure character count. Um, and so I think if you're on a lower threat scenario, 
and you want you've got uh, like uh, spider portals for example um i think that she's a decent character a de decent option for leader in that crisis i guess though you'd i mean this is a rabbit hole because you'd have to break down what exact objectives you're even referring to like for example uh meteors is 17 and mm -hmm. I, I think i'd be fine with playing magneto on meteors just because it's congested it's got a gamma like play style and 17 points isn't too bad um maybe the person throws herbs out there or whatever but i don't know who's who's jamming deadly meteors is it your opponent because if it's your opponent you can choose another extract that's maybe more threat or equal threat right yeah. um i think you're taking mystique more for um your own um let's say how do i say this you're you're taking it for your own agency you're, you're going to take it for uh what is it the uh extremists you're going to take it for uh cosmic invasion and then maybe mayor fisk um basically those two d scenarios at 16 17 and 16 is definitely a little on the lower side uh i could 100 percent see myself reaching for mystique and maybe still playing um magneto but not as a leader and then what the the idea there is that your character that costs three threat doesn't have to hang back. Um, and I probably would even consider not playing Toad if I was going to go with a Mystique strategy. Maybe even play like Taskmaster and Magneto. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea is you don't want like like normally you take two threat because it's a, a low cost. And if the if the low cost character is hanging back on like a D objective, the quote unquote home point you're losing less threat. But if you are playing Mystique, you can sort of um, hedge your bets and try to leave that far D point you know, open and use your threat to be more aggressive. I guess the other thing that's worth saying as well is some tables have a lot less terrain than others. If you're playing on down towards the bottom end, sort of a 12 piece of terrain table rather than up on a 20 piece of terrain table, which is kind of the upper and lower ranges of what they recommend. Um, then maybe you're going to look at the table and go, I just really don't like this table for Magneto. There's not enough stuff for me to interact with. Too much of it is size one and two. There's not enough of the threes and fours, which is kind of really going to gain me that power. So maybe you're looking from that side as well and saying, okay, well, I still want to run Brotherhood because I want these characters or I want this particular strategy that I've worked out. But this time I'm going to take Mystique as the leader rather than Magneto. Yeah, and this conversation will change once we get more characters too. You know, Mystique um, doesn't have a lot of teammates right now. So mm -hmm. maybe once we get more characters, Mystique could become way more dominant. So I will say something to not forget about is the first part of her leadership. And that's the gain of power back after you exit, interact with an extract. Um, so I think that a low threat, um, multiple scenario grab one. So let's say spider infected. Running Toad with a hired muscle play um, with Mystique seems really good. How's that worded, though? Do you have to spend the power to get the power? Yeah, so you spend one power to interact with the extract. After all the interaction is done with that extract, you gain a power back. But then you would need like R&D or something for that to work with, with muscle. Uh, you would need the yeah, power. Yeah, so you, you would need, need R&D first still, but I mean, that's kind of in my play so well, I, I didn't mention that part but yes r d is necessary or well, a asgardian yeah i was gonna say enchantress really likes playing with mystique because yeah. uh you can get them to drop their uh oh she takes them doesn't she 
but okay miles is a really good example of someone who uh, wants to play with her then because miles causes them to drop their tokens and then you've got to pick them up yeah and often that can have impact on your power economy for that turn where you find suddenly you don't have enough power to do that throw you wanted to do because you've had to pick up this extract that miles has suddenly made you made them drop or so, if it's a because i've had games where it's like you take out a model who's holding let's say three hammers and you only have two power but you need all three hammers to win the game right then and now um and, and then your, your opponent gets priority next turn and if you don't get all three hammers you potentially lose the game um so it's like if you have two power you just got all three hammers essentially so it's, it's kind of really corner case uh i i'll agree with that um I, I kind of that's what i feel about it yeah but even I, if it's two objects though right yeah you have like one power after like a big power spender and that that picks up two things that's more realistic yeah it's just it's just it, i think it's a really neat leadership um i don't really know because I've, I've been playing around with it myself um i don't really know how i feel about it completely yet but hot take i think it's really cool and like i said before i think she is a mid-level entry and i think she has a super high ceiling and just needs somebody to unlock her to essentially break the meta um, that's what i feel about her you asked about her counters by the way so super quick any character that likes to be at range three so yeah. funny enough people <laughs> with rapid fire <laughs> uh she doesn't like that yep because as long as they're outside of that two for the martial art thing and within three to get rid of stealth yeah she's she does not like that um yeah, not not one bit. Last thing I want to say, she's got that lovely combination of martial artist and stealth, though. And so, yes, if you're exactly three, but uh, often you'll see people trying to use psychic attacks or some uh, mystic attacks to try and get around martial artist. But mystic attacks tend to be longer ranged. Think about psionic blast. Think about Hela. Um, they tend to be from a bit further away, in which case the stealth kicks in. So I've, there's just there's some nice there's some pleasing synergies there where you go, oh, do you know what? That's that's just yeah. Those go really nicely together. Yep. Uh, so one last scene on Mystique. Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down? Just real quick. Thumbs up. Cool character, cool abilities. I'd uh, say thumbs up because you kind of almost have to play her right now. And then she actually has the biggest room for growth. Maybe yeah. both of them, though. But Because, yeah, you know, Magneto has a whole future of new people who throw things. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. Uh, so for me, I'm going to one-up both of you and say two thumbs up. I'm a big fan of her. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so moving on to our main subject of today, uh, we're going to be discussing something that almost plagues everybody in a gaming community, and that is, well, everybody except for Jacob, apparently. <laughs> uh, but we're going to be talking about Tilt, how it affects you, what to look for, um and it's basically how to possibly avoid it or overcome that tilt and uh Spooch has some things he wants to start off with yeah hey uh so i'll start with a disclaimer that this topic has nothing to do with any outside influence or game that recently happened i know some people can probably internalize things um but uh it's actually been something that's been on our sort of uh in our holster for like maybe even two months at this point um and really truthfully it's a lot because um i've experienced maybe some minor tilt a few months ago and it came to mind to like we should talk about this um so the i'm going to give you the uh sort of like dictionary definition of what tilt is and i'm just going to read it so uh tilt originated as a poker term for a state of mental or emotional confusion 
or frustration in which a player adopts a less than optimal strategy, usually resulting in a player becoming over aggressive, uh, placing an opponent on tilt or dealing with being on tilt. Uh, oneself is an important aspect of poker. So uh, I heard about it through Magic the Gathering. A lot of um, professional Magic players are also professional poker players. So they bring their little world into, you know, Magic. How, do you guys, um, how, how did you hear about tilt? Uh, oh, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Jacob. Yeah, through uh, War Machines, where I first really encountered it, where uh, just as a response to a, a run of you know particularly good luck on your opponent or bad luck on um, on your side, where you ex where you have a, uh, an expected result in your head, which War Machine really lends itself to with the sort of the bell curve of of the two D six system, um, so that you're um, I should have hit that seven. Well, no, you were on the bell curve, and there's a chance you get lower. Um, so just seeing that people getting annoyed that they're not getting their expected results and that that kind of mindset that they found themselves in that's where i saw it yeah for me it was war machine as well actually um probably one of the first tournaments i went to when i was a kid so 16 to 15 somewhere in there i don't even remember uh but just someone had like oh, i just heard i heard someone saying like why are you getting tilted don't let it get to you um and i was like oh what what are you talking about because like i'm a kid i have no idea what he's talking about and uh explain it to me that it's basically just that mindset that oh like you're the table's completely tilted against you um everything's not going the way that it should be for you at least that's how you perceive it in your mind is things aren't just working out for you and it's almost a um i've been trying to think like the phrase i can't think of it but it's like a destructive mindset and it just it snowballs and it just continues to compound and get worse and worse if you let yourself fall down that rabbit hole you just made me think I, I don't the actual word tilt gives you the idea like maybe a, a table on its side or whatever i wonder like the real core of the word but you actually kind of the, the word snowball definitely is is huge right uh if something's tilted and then the snowball just kind of builds and builds so it's this destructive thing where you get worse not better or break even um so i, I will just say um I, I've read articles on this. Um, there are lots of resources out there. So if you feel like um, maybe I'm not doing a good enough job at the end of this podcast or you want to know more about it or maybe you realize maybe it's something you need to address in your own gameplay or even life, uh, you can certainly look into things. But, uh, you know, one thing that I saw, it, it, was, it said um, a player's absolute skill level is not the only deci decisive factor for long-term success. Uh, and you also need mental strength, uh, and this strength is often often underrated. So, you I don't know. You guys might um, maybe I know when I was new to gaming, I, I definitely was the kind of person that would want to learn from others. And I would I remember uh, a long time ago watching um, a professional Magic player named Reed Duke play Magic on stream, and it's amazing to me even now um, looking back on it, like. I was always blown away by how he lost, right? It was never like the big wins he had. He was actually really chill when he'd win. He was very like cool and like, oh yeah, whatever. That's like what happens. But when he lost, he was also like ridiculously chill. And at the time, this was a long time ago, but uh, I needed to see that really. I needed to almost like learn how to like just take it. Like you would watch like the most insane things happen. Like... You know, any, anyone can imagine, you know, like absurd bad variants, you know, just all the wrong things happening. Your opponent top decking like the one card that, 
just obliterates you or an equivalent of Marvel. It would be like, like actually this, this even happened to me yesterday. So I, I, I had this huge attack in a game of Marvel. I was playing casually. Um, and like my, my son was, I was playing with my son and the, you know, it's that little kid luck. The kid just rolls three crits on three dice on defense and then just rolls into more defense. And I was just like, are you kidding me? All I needed was one power for like this big combo to work out for me, and I didn't even hit him at all. And I was just like, who the heck rolls three crits on three dice? <laughs> but like those <laughs> moments happen in this game. This game's actually pretty spiky sometimes. And uh, you need to have sort of like an emotional fortitude to like handle it. And um, you know, I, I remember actually, so the finals, um, congratulations, was it Edmund? He ended up winning the season three TTS league. Uh, spoiler, sorry if anyone hasn't watched <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, good luck watching that game anyway, because it's quite long. Uh, but there was a moment I remember, uh, I think it was in the interviews, uh, Edmund, the winner, had said, you know, you need to like consider a backup plan. And, uh, you know, so when you make a decision, you attack a character, you're you're hopefully doing it like with the idea that if the attack fails that there's like another plan you don't want it to be like the only plan because you're acknowledging that dice is dice and variance is variance right and I, I it made me laugh a little bit and i thought i was like yeah that's a pretty good point and it actually is relevant to what we're talking about today and you know i knew we we're gonna have this conversation today um it reminded me of things that uh can happen um so uh, i think the obvious is this idea that like bad things are happening to you and you get emotional um I'll also say, too, that I don't think uh, it means anger. You know, it's funny because I actually used to associate tilt with anger. Um, but if you that definition I provided actually didn't mention anger. It actually mentioned um, like emotional confusion or frustration. Yeah. I think it's... when people are frustrated, they become angry, mm -hmm. right? But I don't think it is anger in it inherently. That is I the problem. I feel like it's more of a uh, a disparity or a gloom feeling, like 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 this should have worked out for me. Why didn't it work out for me? And then you start almost beating yourself up, like what could I have done better? Um, I think that's most commonly what that's what happens to me, anyways. Um, is I start going down that rabbit hole of basically beating myself up on how I could have avoided that from happening, and then that's how I end up going down the tilt train. I think the reason this is important is probably more than the characters you're bringing, the choices you're making with those characters are determining whether you win or lose the game. And to an extent, yes, there's dice. Sometimes dice can decide a game, but that's m less common than other things deciding games like good play or excellent positioning or decision making like target priority or activation order. These are all things which, you know, you're making loads of decisions every round and those decisions are ultimately going to impact the result of the game. And it's about who makes the fewest mistakes, who makes the fewest bad decisions. And one of the things that Tilt does is it makes you make bad decisions. It makes you make decisions which are not going to be what you would have done if you had a clear head. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, let's tackle those. Okay, so first, I'll just say I like to think of it as like your brain has RAM, like, you know, uh, the temporary memory that a computer would have. It's when you're playing a game, you, you're processing decisions, you know, uh, decision trees, different things that could happen in the game, right? When you go on tilt, you're kind of like clouding up your RAM with like all these negative thoughts of like, like you, Dizzard, you said it perfectly. You're like, you're starting to think about what you could have done. And, and it's funny because that's kind of irrelevant. You already did the thing that you did, right? You made yeah. that decision. 
And so harping on what you did or the dice or anything that happened after that decision is really irrelevant. You need to stay focused on present and future and not worry about past in the moment. Um, so uh, some consequences and things that how that happens. Uh, OK, so the biggest uh, focus that people have with tilt is dice. So I, I think we should hit that first. And there's good dice and bad dice. And both of them can cause a form of tilt. So I'll start with the obvious bad dice. Uh, there was a time a few months ago where there was a player that was extremely distraught in Discord about his attack dice. Uh, and he would constantly say, I have the worst dice ever. I only lose because of dice. And at first, I was kind of involved in, in talking to him and saying, you know, what, what's going on? What, what's the deal with the dice? And at one point, he had sort of like produced his dice results. He kind of copy pasted them or something uh, in like one of a couple of his attacks. And when I looked at the dice results, I was like, hmm, these actually look kind of average. And it hit me at that moment. It was like a light bulb. I was like, you know what? This guy's problem isn't even dice. It's actually his expectations of what dice can do. So it'd be the equivalent of like, I don't know, let's just say a full health MODOK and you charge Thor in with, with limited power and you expect to daze MODOK. Well, statistically, that's pretty unlikely. Probably extremely unlikely. In fact, I think it's what was the percentage of the chances of even staggering Modoc? Wasn't that like fifty percent or something? Yeah, about that. Right. So if your chances of staggering Modoc on your first attack is fifty percent, what are the odds of dazing the Modoc? But if players go in expecting to like always stagger Modoc and you know uh, always daze Modoc every time Thor charges. Obviously, you're going to be left with some a bad taste in your mouth way more often than you know reality. So I do think dice math ha or play a big factor in learning how to avoid tilt and having realistic expectations in your game. Any of you guys have any thoughts on that or move on? Yeah, I mean, dice math can help to an extent. Having a, a basic understanding is good, but uh, it's it's uh, you know there's a definite Dunning Kruger effect on dice math where you think you know everything and you end up on the top of Mount Stupid, um, <laughs> and you're like oh well I know what my expect I know exactly what the the dice should be well no there's still it's still random variance and there's still a lot of um, there's still a lot of probabilities in there so I find even going something like okay I've got four dice attack I'm expecting two hits because I've got fifty percent chance of expecting two hits. I still find that kind of mindset can lead to problems for some people because then when they only get one hit, they're like, well, that's not fair. I'm expecting two hits. So a little bit of knowledge can be detrimental. And I think, um, yeah, understanding the math and, and clearly that example you gave, that person needs to sort of look and go, huh, actually, do you know what this is? This is about right. And there sounds like there was a, a knowledge gap there. But at the same time, don't lean too heavily on it because it can set you up for a fall in a different way. Sure. I mean, sometimes you just got to acknowledge that luck happened or, or like a really hot roll, right? So you just, it's, it's healthier for you to say nice roll to your opponent. I, I, I think, you know, I remember as a guy watching uh, like women's sports, like volleyball, basketball, and how the girls would always like, like one of them would get like a nice shot, even their opponent, and they would be like, good shot or something, high-fiving each other. And I was, I was like, as a guy, you're sort of trained to, to like, they're the enemy and 
you know, don't don't help your opponent or encourage them or whatever. And I think perhaps that that's what set me off when I was younger is like this idea of like hyper focus and try to crush your enemy sort of thoughts, you know. And and we're playing a collaborative game with dice, uh, you know, try to practice maybe uh, just saying nice roll, man, and mean it. Don't just say it, you know. So so I got a, I got another good example for you for dice, um, and this is dice being used against me. Um, so I had Gwyn uh, holding a back point for me. Uh, no, no, no. So Wasp had gone up and tried taking a point from me. Gwyn goes to try and just pulls Wasp off the point. Opponent gets priority next turn and just one rounds Gwyn with Wasp. And I'm like, oh, well, crap. I wasn't expecting that. Um, and then, of course, the opponent gets priority again the next turn and then one rounds Gwyn again. So I ultimately did absolutely nothing with Gwyn. At that point, I'm thinking in my head. After the game, in hindsight, I'm just like, well, you know, Gwyn actually bought me probably two turns by taking Wasp off of that point. So it's like it kind of goes to the line of thinking of, in the game, I was really upset because I just lost Gwyn for doing absolutely nothing. And I felt like it was a completely waste of three points. I shouldn't have done that. This comes back to me like going down that. Well, what could I have done differently? When in hindsight, talking through my opponent with about the play, he's like, no, I think you did the right thing. Because, again, like it saved me two to three victory points by doing that one play. Yeah, it cost me Gwyn overall. Um, but overall, it was the right play to do. Yeah, I mean... It gets deeper because, like, we're kind of getting off tilt, but, like, being yeah. able to evaluate your games without emotion and, like, breaking them down is also just how you get to be a better player. Mm -hmm. It just really, um, being, like, self-reflective, and that's the goal here, with your own emotions can help. Um, and I'll, I'll give an example. Like, if you're, if you find you're someone who is just sort of easily triggered by dice, maybe don't play, like, high-variance characters. You know, um... Wakanda just won the league, and they're two out of three on three seasons. And Wakanda is just known for being consistent because none of, well, I, I don't want to say none, but basically most of their abilities are just sort of 100% guarantees. You're going to get the push. It's, it's written on the card. Uh, so you don't have to worry about a hot roll or a cold roll. And you can very effectively plan ahead based on what results you expect to happen not to mention wakanda gives you rerolls which gives you a little bit of a padding on on bad up rolls I, I do want to give an example though this is probably a lesser known is um also getting tilted off of good dice if you can think about it as like a poker player imagine you're just like super hot and you just feel like you're winning and you're winning 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 i actually played a game recently where um i was playing like baron zemo and he was just on fire like i kept using master swordsman and getting like consistently like seven or six hits on strikes. And my opponent was like, wow, you're lucky. And I mean, granted, that's a lot of dice. I was doing tons of rerolls, but still, it is lucky because I was getting crits. And, and the crits with Baron Zemo kind of are exponential because you know you're going to get a reroll even if the crits blank out. Uh, but what ended up happening is I dazed like two characters sort of unexpectedly. And uh, sort of what we were talking about, like, you know how you're talking about like if if a character gets days that you didn't expect like you mentioned that it's the sort of same thing with good luck like i've I've had examples or experiences where like modok uh will like one shot someone and then i have to stop and think like whoa i didn't plan around that much luck so now i have to like think about my next action and in the game that i played recently i didn't do that the opposite version um 
I made this like really stupid f another attack. I ended up, so what ended up happening is I did all you got, and I did like a one hit, and then I did like a charge, and I did got like a huge second hit. So I just didn't all you got because I knew I could take out that character. And then I got another crazy roll, and I instantly took out that character, and I had one more attack. What I should have honestly done is nothing. Because stupidly, I attacked another character within range two of the Daze character, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. It ended up being a field dressing. And it completely turned the entire game. So all the great luck I had was wasted because I made one stupid attack. But I got kind of high on the, the, the sort of what was happening, and I didn't stop and think about the consequences of my actions. So, like, you might have a plan in your head. Like, really, in that, game, in that moment, my plan was, like, days one character. Seriously. And I actually, it actually wasn't even a daze. I killed a character on the first strike. So I got so excited. I was like, wow, I killed a character. That's, like, huge. It was turn two. And uh, so I'm like, oh, man, this is kind of like a perfect moment to get a charge, contest, and maybe all you've got. And I got so high on that good luck that I never stopped myself and said, okay, I have one more attack left. Just stop. Like, think of the consequences. And... It led me down a bad path that actually kind of screwed me over. And uh, th th think about it as a gambler's perspective. You're winning, winning, winning. You have this giant pile of money, and then you start sort of over a guess. Like, you start projecting that you're going to keep winning, and you take stupid bets, and then you start losing all your money. And then at the end of the day, you're like, where'd all my money go? It, that's, that's what happened. It, it's that moment where you just got too high on, on the luck. Um, so I think I, something, I think something to kind of like start headed towards with this conversation is uh, recognizing tilt in yourself. Like, what are some ways that you think you can recognize tilt in yourself to kind of like start being more self aware that you might be in that situation? Well, this is one that's actually very hard for me because uh, I don't really experience tilt. Um, I when I see good dice, I'm like, yeah, those are good dice. I can recognize them, but it doesn't affect me. And when I get bad dice, or when my opponent gets bad dice, you know, I'll say, oh man, those are awful dice. Um, but it's not something that then has an emotional impact on me. And I don't, I, I don't, I haven't got a, like a recipe for this, but it's just <laughs> not something that I've that that I happens to me. Yeah, so I'd well, say I would say for me, it's like I'll start noticing like that I'm like I'm just getting frustrated. Um like I just get more and more frustrated and I start to say, like, yeah, 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 I'll just go here, I'll just go here. Uh, I start making really quick plays just because I'm frustrated, mostly because I'm thinking about what went wrong. Um like again, like what we said earlier, is I start going down that rabbit hole. What could I have done differently? How could I have made this situation different? And I start thinking about things that have already happened, uh, which Sploosh alluded to was Think about the game now, not what had happened. You can't, you can't change what already happened. Uh, look to the forward. Um, so going forward with that is you just kind of like, for me personally, I start feeling just like I, I'm in a hole and I can't get out. That's, that's pretty much the, the sum it all up for me and how I start feeling. Yeah, um, I just say for my personality, just sort of like Jacob says, the one thing in my personality that just is me is I have this like never say die attitude. Mm. It's just sort of who I am. Like if things are really, really like bleak and like there's theoretically like a 0% chance of success, I'll still like give everything. So I, that is sort of the strength, but I do have, I do find myself getting emotional and obviously 
getting kind of clouded by emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say there, when I had like a career where I was making like good money, I know that that was sort of a turning point in my life for sort of re- being more resistant. Because I would go to like, I, I, I'm a person who tries to go to public events as much as possible. And we all have life limitations and I can't do as much as I wish I could. But I found once I was like, you know, had a house and, you know, family and stuff, the sort of like winnings just didn't matter anymore. Like, it, you know, like, oh, I'll win. Like you go to magic events, like win $5,000. I was like, yeah, it'd be nice. But like, I'm here because I like really want to play this game. And yeah. it gave me it gave me perspective so that um, kind of like losing didn't feel so important, you know, or like, you know, you know, what I'm talking about, right? Like that feeling of like, I can't lose if I lose. What does that mean about me? And those kind of like kind of toxic thoughts that you can maybe go into an event with, um, you know, if you're going like kind of chill about the whole experience and just trying to learn then you're going to tend to be a little more resistant to tilt because I do think. You can you can enter before a game even starts. You can be tilted. Um, I know. I don't know. Um, Dizzy, you mentioned like when we played uh, yeah, in yeah. season three. Yeah, like so it was like beginning, like going into our game is like I got spooshed round one. Like, oh man, this guy was been in the finals the past few. I've never. I don't think I had ever played you up until that game. Like actually, us playing a game before. Um, oh, actually, I think we actually played round one or two of season one. When like neither of us had any clue who we were. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe. possibly. <laughs> you were playing Guardians, I remember. Okay, then yeah, pro- more than likely. But like you just go into this game of somebody who you don't think you've ever played before and um, has like this high reputation of being undefeated, except for like what I think it was like two games at that point uh, yeah. overall well, throughout TTS. Uh, so it just kind of br- brings like this this daunting feeling going into the game of like man like. I guess I'll give it my all, uh, which kind of like comes back to something else I was going to say earlier that I forgot on the space. Uh, something else that I end up doing when I hit that tilt and I start realizing it is I start making a lot of really bold, risky plays, uh, hoping for the bigger payout, um, which does not favor. And it's kind of that creates that snowball um, that goes downhill faster and faster. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you you can even think of that in like poker terms, right? Like you're losing and you feel like your luck's got to turn around, and you know you're getting impatient. You're, um, you know, whatever. You know, you just have these like emotions that maybe maybe like a okay, I got bet un- unlucky like twice now, and so like I'm due good luck. So I'm gonna take mm. this crazy move, you know? Or maybe you think you're more behind than you really are, so you're taking like crazy risks. Um. I, I gotta say, like, um, from being so, I've been someone who's played against a lot of opponents in events in many different games. Identifying your opponent having tilt is is something that I feel like I've learned more about tilt by opponents than anything I've ever experienced. Because, you know, I mean, you're you, and you're not. You you have your own personality, right? And so when you run across someone you've never met, and they start acting kind of angry, like, uh, like maybe this is a good uh, segue. So there's um. Have you guys ever played in a game where someone attacks like one of your characters and they just get really mad that your character is not taking damage? Mm-hmm. And maybe that character is like key to the entire game, right? So let's just pretend the character is holding like a Kree core or something. Yeah. So after like, let's say two or three attacks, your opponent, let's say, did like one damage. And then they start talking to you and they're saying stuff like, oh, I know I should attack that character, but 
I just can't kill them. So then they attack like something else that's kind of like insignificant or in the, in your head you're thinking like, okay, dude, but like if you kill that character, like I probably win, right? But like they get sucked in this hole of thinking and negative thinking where they feel like um, they're, they're basically tilted on the idea that your character's invulnerable, which is just not the case, right? Yeah. So th this kind of brings up something that um, I had a thought about was because like uh, there's something else like you you notice when you're playing an opponent and it's kind of easy to see when someone gets tilted because like their voice changes. Um, it, this like it's it comes back to that emotion thing. Like people become what I have noticed the most is people become more sullen. Uh, they become more quiet and they're not as excited. Um, and then for me, that kind of like creates like a feels bad moment for me. And this kind of brought up a question I was thinking of is if you start noticing your opponent get tilted like that, like what is your action as do you play the good sportsman? Like, hey man, like it's cool. Like, uh, like try to bring them back up to the game to enjoy a fun game, or are you playing competitively where it's like, yeah, man, you're tilted, make this bad decision. Um yeah. for it. Like I I I feel like I just I just <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. Uh I just I just feel like and for me personally, I'm always just like, hey, man, like, is this dice? Like, you got this. Like, like don't think about it. Like, don't like because I've had people like say like, like round two and they're like, man, the game's over. Like, no, dude, like, like, come on. Like, you got this. Like, just like think about this. So you're, you're on a good path. Do this. I kind of walk them through and get them back up. And next thing I know, I'm losing the game. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to win, let them stay and tilt. I mean, that's an easy answer, right? Um, if it's just a casual game, you definitely should be talking them down. Um, and and if I'm in a casual game, I've half the time I'll help my opponent beat me because it's like, oh, dude, did you notice this play? You know, you do have to be careful in a competitive event though because it can bite you in the butt. There's really two things I've learned not to do. One is like, I'm not I'm not going to help my opponent beat me in a competitive game. I'm also not going to try to control their emotions because they might just lash out at you. Now, don't get me wrong. Like some people might even like love it or say, oh, damn man, thanks. I was really tilted there. But there's going to be that guy who's like, I don't need your advice or, you know, he's going to yell at you. And another example that I found is I learned this the hard way a few times in the past is even like, let's say like after or during a game, you give someone like a tip and they just lash out at you or like, you know, like in a card game equivalent, it'd be like, oh, man, um, you should try this card. It's really good in your deck or whatever. And and they just give you like this like angry response like, I, I don't I don't need your advice or something, you know. Um, so you gotta be careful. I, I've definitely learned in in real, especially in real life events, to be to not give unsolicited advice. You might mean mm -hmm. well, like you really mean well, like you you're trying to help the person. But some people don't want to be helped, and and they're gonna find it almost like insulting in the moment, even if it shouldn't obviously be seen that way. Um, did you, did you have any thoughts there? Or? Yeah, I think uh, that's that's definitely true, and it's I think uh, it's good idea after you finish the game. Say, do you want to just chew over what happened in that game? Um, and some people just go, no, I'm right, and you know they want to go off and clear the head for the next game, or want to go and do something else, go get some food. Um, so just bear that in mind. I think that's a good point, though. And you, that's also a good point about the clearing the head. So I'll use myself as an example. Um... In the recent league, I had a really bad situation happen in my game that caused me to lose. And it was just like an accident made in the game that just was like, it, it sucked. And I, I truly was not upset during the experience. I, I was just a little disappointed, whatever, moving on. You get a loss, it happens, right? 
And then um, I had another game right after that game, and I got kind of diced out of my head. Uh, it was bad. And now in that game, I know I can say with full confidence that I gave it on my all, and I think the game ended like 16 to 13. Like I tried, you know, and I think I played my best game, but it, it, it caused me to lose. And um, at that point, I was carrying baggage with me because I part of it wasn't even the game result. It was this feeling of like having to explain what happened to people. and like, oh, man, I just don't want to talk about it. And then I remember Desert and I actually played a practice game like maybe a night later. And um, something happened with some kind of crazy dice. And I was like, man, I, I, th- I think it was um, I did like double snipe with um, Punisher and I it resulted in zero damage. And I rolled like yeah. one hit out of 14 dice. And the card says like if you do damage, you do like slow and stun, I think. Yeah, and it was, um, it was pretty much just like you were like, I really needed that to secure this game. And uh, that's pretty much the example that I was talking about. Like one of those times where it's like, man, I just I feel like that's it for the game. And I was and for me, I was like, no, man, like you still got this, this and this. Like, t- don't give up. Now. Yeah. And you were a good sport about it. And I actually did end up coming back kind of in that game. And, and and there was moments where I actually was like, I kind of want to quit. The reason I bring this up isn't like, oh, I have like bad experiences. But the point is, if you're at like an event, maybe it's even a, just a three round event or longer you can kind of carry this baggage with you from one round to another. So you could have a tilting game, you know, maybe your first game, and then go enter an entire other round completely tilted from the get-go. Or maybe you're, Mm -hmm. like, kind of calmer, but then something triggers you, like, on the first roll. Like, maybe you lose priority, and you're just like, man, I just can't even get anything right today, you know? (laughs) And so you you got um, what, what Jacob mentioned about go, like, cool down like if, if if a round ends and you find yourself um you know feeling tilted or frustrated uh you know walk away do something i, I don't know go for a walk do listen to some music I, I mean, do what you got to do to calm yourself down and try to just like really like if you're really going to attack the point the problem here i think people need to be honest with their own emotions like i think people sometimes will deny how they feel um mm-hmm. i actually i actually looked up uh, I googled this real quick. Let me see if I got it here. It was um, okay. Let me just read this. It said, "Anger deniers denial is a defensive mechanism, defensive mechanism, a way of protecting ourselves from acknowledging parts of ourselves that are inconsistent with how we wish to view ourselves." Uh, basically, that's the, the idea. So, I, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. I actually read a book recently, completely uh, a different topic. It was like a marriage book. And it mentioned how um, this guy saw someone really angry in a business meeting and he kind of called him out. It was like, dude, you're, you're kind of angry. Like, what's going on? And he was trying to be nice about it. But the guy's like, I'm not angry. And like, if we need to be like um, honest with ourselves, if like you're frustrated or getting to the point of anger, like first just acknowledge it. Like, man, I'm, I'm angry. And like mm-hmm. work, that's when you're going to work on it and like go and take that walk. And, you know, um, don't you. You know, I, I've met people who are kind of doom and gloom. Are like, I always have the worst dice and all these statements. And just like, man, I don't know. Like, do you really always have the worst dice? I mean, maybe those people need to um, just think about things. And nobody has, like, cursed dice, I, I don't think. No. <laughs> you know? Um, we, and, and, you know, there's another thing, too. Acknowledge when you got lucky. Like, if you win a game and you got, like, super lucky, and then uh, the game was a win, you maybe don't walk away saying, I'm the best player, look how awesome that game went. 
um, you might want to say, I actually deserve to lose that game. But yeah. I won, and I'm glad I won, but, like, don't... If you can't acknowledge when you get lucky, then you're only going to obsess over when you get unlucky, and it's going to create that sort of dark cloud, right, that you'll carry with you. I think that's the worst thing, too. Like, you got people who will carry tilt throughout, like, at a day event, and then maybe cool off throughout the week. But don't be that person that carries that tilt into, like, every event you go to, you know? Because yeah. then maybe you're not being honest with yourself. So I think this, you... this, this kind of like wraps us towards the end of this, of, like, how to deal with it. Um, I think that's, that'll wrap us up with talk, talk about this discussion. And, like, like, what are some key points that you want to hit on to deal with that tilt to keep it from affecting your next game or your current game that you're in, if you can catch yourself hitting that tilt side? I think that's a good thing right there is take a step back, take a breath, realize it's not the end of the world uh, or the end of the game even rather, Um, especially with this game specifically. That's one thing that I I keep stressing to people is this game isn't over, especially MCP. This game is not over until it's over. It can be 15 to 1 and that person on that one victory point can come back that next round and win. Um, It's happened. Two seasons of TTS finals for that. Yeah. So yeah, I guess like, that's 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 a big point that I want to make is especially with MCP, it's not over till it's over. Don't let yourself fall into these traps, and know that there's there's still another die roll to be made, and you still have a chance to take that win. I'll say if you have good dice or bad dice, um, take a moment to pause. Um, you know, when I gave my example of like my good dice and I didn't pause, I just kind of kept my bloodlust i should have paused if you have um bad dice like hopefully you had a plan for those bad dice and you you know maybe like you make an attack and it whiffs and instead of attacking again and hoping to get even luckier just like move your character away like don't don't pursue the bad like path right um so you, you need to like um do that but you also just really need to manage the emotional swings of the game because the game mm-hmm. can be kind of explosive but the game also has a nice rubber band mechanic. It it has this um, daze system that'll protect you. It has um, priority that will protect you. And uh, just just acknowledge that this is a game that's going to be a little swingy, and you just got to ride those waves and, and kind of relax a little bit. Um, try to pursue like a zen-like attitude. Um, if you want to know what that means, I mean, maybe Google it and, and look into like, you know, people do like meditation and that kind of stuff, you know? Um, so they kind of tie that with fortitude. the... To kind of tie with that zen-like attitude is I want to, like, everybody to, like, think about something real quick. If you're playing in a tournament game or a league game, something that is, like, semi to uh, actual, like, competitive versus your casual game where you're just doing a pickup game with your buddy, like, do you ever get tilted in your casual pickup games? Like, tilted to the point where you're just like, man, I just, I can't do this or I just give up on this game. Um... I don't, to me, it doesn't happen on the casual games. It's only in those tournament games. But it, it comes down to the point of we're playing this game to have fun. Um, so in all reality, like, you, you shouldn't, like, I, I'm, a, I'm being a hypocrite right now by saying this, but, like, you shouldn't allow yourself to get tilted because you're having fun playing this game that you want to play for fun. Um, and getting, in my opinion, getting tilted almost takes away from that fun a little bit. And maybe that's why Jacob doesn't have issues with tilters. He's just always having fun. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I I mean, is there any 
I mean, I'm just curious real quick, Jacob, is there like a life experience or like a perspective you could add to this? Like is the Zen thing? Are you Mr. Zen? Like what's your secret, man? <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you wanted to Google something, the thing I would recommend Googling is mindfulness. Um, I got taught a bit of mindfulness and I went, but I do that already. Um, and I, I, I don't have, I can't point to a particular life experience, but it's just the whole thing of mindfulness is about being in the present and not bringing, uh, you know, the thing that happened this morning or yesterday or last week to bear on what you're doing right now. Do, do the thing you're doing and give it a hundred percent of your attention. And that's kind of the, the essence of mindfulness. And it's something that you can practice. Um, but I was lucky that I just did it anyway. So I feel so, like with what you just said is the exact definition of anti-tilt. <laughs> so how about this? You should enter an event in the right state of mind. Like be rested. <laughs> like don't miss yeah. sleep. Uh, don't have yeah. tiredness or boredom. Don't be distraught or, or don't lack self-confidence. I mean, whatever it takes to, to have that confidence. And if you are entering with a self-confidence issue, maybe just tell yourself, Set like a realistic goal. Like I've heard, I've talked to people, like they'll go to an event and they're like, I'm just, I'm just here to go 50%. And like, that's, that's where they're at. And if you can set a little goal and like a little victory for yourself. And then, I don't know, I, there's been games I've joined where when I was a newbie, I was terrible. And I would literally, I would just be like, all right, I just want to go like 50%. That'd be great. And, and then I obviously would hope to do better the next time and progress. You know, I, I'm going to repeat some things to remind real quick. I mean, if your opponent rolls well, just, Say nice roll and try to mean it. Like, I really, that's something I have to work on. I told you, like, I come from, like, I used to play basketball when I was younger, and I was very competitive. <laughs> like, oh, man. And, like, I have had to learn that in my age, in getting older. You know, I've had to learn how to be, like, a good sportsman and, like, try to, like, you know, not see my opponent as, like, the enemy or not just, like, two people playing a game, right? Uh, you mentioned too, Dizzard, like when someone's in that dark cloud, it kind of ruins the experience. You feel obligated to cheer them up. Yeah. And like, you shouldn't really have to do that, but you know, it's going to happen. You're going to get that opponent who's had a bad day. So you should enter events with like, try to be a positive attitude, eat, eat some food before you get there. You know, someone's cranky because they haven't eaten, right? And then that might bring on some tilt. Like, it's a, it's a body and mind kind of thing, right? It's a, that mindfulness. Yeah. Uh, it, lack of focus could be an issue too. Um, you know, maybe you like think you're better than your opponent, so you get a little distracted, and all of a sudden you make a mistake. That could bring you down the tilt road too. So stay focused. Don't uh, underestimate your opponent, and you know, don't allow yourself to overestimate an opponent either. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's gonna wrap up the discussion on tilt. I think to sum it up, uh, hopefully we gave you guys some ways to notice it some ways to come against it and some ways to like maybe notice it in your opponent and help them back up because uh, that's what all this is about is about like building that community and if you're i mean i'm not don't want to be rude but if you're going around the, your local shop and i guess capitalizing on your opponent's tilt I mean, that's that kind of a feels bad moment um but i guess like let's just all be a little bit more like jacob and uh being uh what was it was mindfulness like i'm not gonna look that up myself um yep it's very interesting uh but one last thing that i would like to say is um to hit on the the patreon again uh, i would like to thank omnis and mark and mandalorian orange i think his name was um i can never remember his name but those were our first four subscribers on the patreon it's a big shout out to them for 
keeping the dream alive. That's awesome. I'm blown away that people actually did it. It's like, wow, they have fans out there. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of The Danger Room. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something to level up your next game. You can reach out to us on our Discord, Twitter, or Facebook. The links will be in the description. We have a questions channel on our Discord, so feel free to drop us some questions in there and we'll answer them on the show. Thank you for taking the time and listening to us. If you're liking what you hear, leave a rating or comment or even both. We appreciate any feedback to help us grow and become a better group to bring you the best quality content that we can. See you next time in the Danger Room. Simulation complete.